Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello and welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Wow, what a beautiful thing spring is. Oh, we we're so ever come. excited. <laughs> Tulips are up this week, wherever you are. I don't know where you are, but we have been through a long, wild winter. So we're glad for spring. We're glad to be with you. And we got a, we got a couple of things we ought to say right off the top, Linda. We we did a uh, we we did a long parenting uh, program course. I guess it's really a course, a series of seminars with a wonderful young couple. And we just heard the first. We just heard the uh, their podcast announcing the launch of this show and we want to invite all of you to all of you who listen to podcasts look up the podcast couple things c-o-u-p-l-e things and it's kind of a cute name because they talk about couples and uh, about marriage and so on and they're a young couple they're 31 and 30 years old and (laughs) we just think they're fantastic and you might actually know (laughs) at least one of them uh, they live in uh, Nashville, and they have two beautiful little tiny children, three and one. Well, two, going on two and three and a half. Yeah. Anyway, they. Uh, this is Sean Johnson. The, the mom is Sean Johnson, who you may recognize because she was a double gold medalist at the Olympics in gymnastics. Yeah, in 2008. And then she went on to win Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> How's that for great? Imagine that. And her husband, Andrew, who we just we really like both of them. He's an NFL player. And they found themselves at that very young age in a in a quite a unique position. They had plenty of money from all the things that they'd done, and they wondered what they would devote their lives to. And guess what? They decided to devote their lives to strengthening families. Which, to our delight, <laughs> they have accomplished so beautifully. They are just so fun. They're both so articulate. Yeah, they really are. And uh, they know they've got their heads on straight. They know what they're doing. And they have a beautiful studio in Nashville. And they um, invited us there. We did uh, this first podcast is an hour long, but it, it, it was so fun to talk to them because they were adding so much to the conversation. They were just so great. Well, it's turned out to be and the whole course is this way. Uh, that it's called values-based parenting. And it's like a young couple just starting out with their family, right? With two little children talking to this old couple. (laughs) (laughs) The two of us who've been through the mill a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times. And they're really good at asking questions. I'm not sure we're as good at answering questions as they are at asking. Well, they are so terrific. And they know their audience. Um, they this these are young families, which is so awesome. And we don't know exactly our eyes uh, on the road audience. We're assuming they're most <laughs> many are older, not old, but you know, middle aged, young, middle aged, old. Anyway, uh, we just suggest if you have children in that age group, you suggest this to these. Two or if your if your children have young children. 
have them just go let you'll know if you listen to this podcast this this couple things which is the current issue that's out this week you can find it on any podcast you'll you'll know in a hurry whether this is something you want to continue to do and whether you want to take their whole course. Here's the great thing, though. I would I just want to say this personally, why we're so excited about it. We reached basically two generations of parents uh, through our books. You know, we reached our own generation and we sort of reached the next generation. But this brand new generation of parents in their 20s, parents who are young, parents who have young children. 30s, 40s, yeah. They don't, I mean, again, I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, but they don't read books. They get their information in other ways. In fact, they taught us that. They said, <laughs> you know what, Richard and Linda, this, these people do not read books. They don't books. have time. They, they get don't their have information time. online. They get everything online. And so, and they also don't have a very long attention span. So <laughs> we are going to break these up into 10 minute little thing, 10 to 15 minutes. And uh, it really turned out so fun. We spent the entire two days with them. Just, just filming, 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 filming. Going through all 12 of the values that we had written in our book called Teaching, Teaching Your Children Values. And it really was so fun. And here's the great thing, drum roll. They have 16 million social media followers. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a lot. That's a lot. But they have also a lot of people who are helping them. They have staff that are just amazing, talented, gifted people who know how to put this together. So as you can tell, we're pretty excited to be um, doing this with them because um, this is an audience that we have not been able to reach. So the invitation, go to whatever podcast app you use, find Couple Things. It's easy to find. It's called Couple Things with Sean and Andrew and listen to the current episode. And I think you'll be excited just like we are. Now we have one other announcement. Well, they may not be quite as excited as we are. <laughs> well, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. One other That's announcement is that we contributed to and edited a book and it's a it's turning out to be it's exceeding our expectations and, and we're just going to give you a hint of it because it's not going to come out until summertime but we're going to read a little something from it so we want you to know about it it's a book called no divisions among you and it's about this unity problem that pervades pervades our our society and particularly our church where people really have different political opinions and different media opinions and just sort of there's a there's a polarizing going on in our whole country and it's certainly not escaped in our personal society within our church and it looks like it's coming up again in the election yeah. uh, in 2024 yeah. so it is really interesting because the, these are really bright minds who have added their Two cents. Well, it's more than that. They're brilliant. And uh, they have 14 essays. Yeah. And, and I got to edit it. And Linda and I did one of the 14 essays within the book, No Divisions Among You. And we wanted to start off today. This is leading into the series we're in the middle of right now, the three alternatives to the three deceivers. And one of those deceivers is the false idea of ownership that we think we own things and we think we can accumulate things and we want more and we get greedy and we perceive the world as a competition and who owns the most and on and on and on. 
But there's a little part in this essay that we wrote for this book that I think is a really good lead into this. So let us just read you a little bit of it, and then we'll jump right into the alternative to stewardship. Okay, here we go. Families with their close quarters, different personalities, and interlaced responsibilities and obligations sometimes seem the perfect breeding ground for the five Ds. And those five Ds are dissension, division, discord, that kind of thing. This this division and this inability to find unity happens so often in families. Is there any simple solution for a problem as complex and varied as contention and discord in a family? Or is it complicated, multifaceted, a monster that can only even be approached by a combination of prayer, therapy, counseling, and blessings? Now, carrying on, while all of these approaches and anything we can think of to try to solve disunity within families, they're, they're all worthy of pursuit in the quest of something as eternally important as familial peace and unity. But the premise of this essay is that there's actually one single and enormously effective and impactful direction that all of us ought to try to understand and apply. But while it is simple in its premise and its concept, it may be the hardest of all forms of self-improvement. And it is something called nothingness. Nothingness. That word is full, even though it's nothing. Wow, it is so hard to create nothingness in ourselves. Pride is our biggest problem. We think we know things that sometimes we don't, and we think we need to direct things that sometimes we need to. Can't, yeah. Yeah, but we can't, and it really is an amazing word. So we're going to read a little more to explain what we mean by nothingness, and then we're going to get right back into the whole idea of why we need an alternative to the notion of ownership. Okay, so we're quoting here a prophet named Alma from a a book that we love called the Book of Mormon. And uh, just hear what he says. It's, It's amazing. The nothingness contemplated here is what Alma spoke of as non compelled humility. He preached, he had truly humbled himself and repented of his sins and endured to the end, the same shall be blessed, yea, much more blessed than they who are compelled to be humble. So perhaps among other things, he was comparing himself with his own father, because this is Alma the Younger, this prophet speaking, and he'd been humbled by the visit of an angel. But Alma the Elder, his father, had humbled himself based on the words of a prophet that he had heard. And so the consummate definition of nothingness comes from another prophet in this Book of Mormon named King Benjamin. And in his matchless discourse that connects to family and to unity and to the most profound and significant things in in the world, he says, remember and always retain in your remembrance the greatness of God, and your own nothingness. Oh, wow. We love that word, even though we are working on it every day. As we deal with our children and as we deal with other people, 
It is so important to just feel your nothingness. And we're going to expand it. Listen to this. In all of the scriptures that you read anywhere, there may be that may be the most consequence connected and promise laden advice ever given. Um, that single admonition has 17 remarkable promises. It makes the if then connection clearly and directly. If ye do this, remember your own nothingness, ye shall, and then it gives you all of these beautiful promises. So we're going to read these to you. We're going to alternate reading them. And just imagine these are promises that this prophet said, this prophet says will come to us if we can adopt within ourselves this humble attitude that, and this understanding that we're really nothing, that we're really just, we, we don't own things. We, we don't control things. We, we are, if we can get that kind of humility deep within us, here's the things that we're promised. Number one, we will always rejoice. Number two, you'll be filled with the love of God. Number three, we will retain a remission of our sins. Think of that. And grow in the knowledge of the glory of him that created you. And grow in the knowledge of that which is just and true. And not just have a mind to injure one another. That you will live peaceably. Again, these are promises. You'll live peaceably. And render to every man according to that which is his due. And you promise that you won't suffer your children, that they go hungry or naked. And not suffer that your children transgress the laws of God. And your children will not fight or quarrel with one another. Ooh, that's there, there's big, like an unbelievable promise if you can retain an attitude <laughs> of one. nothingness. <laughs> um, nor serve the devil, which is also <laughs> important. And the promise is you will teach your children. If you have this nothingness, you will naturally teach your children to walk in the ways of truth and soberness. And teach them to love one another. You will teach them to serve one another. Again, this is not an admonition. This is a promise if we have this humble attitude of nothingness. And succor those that stand in need of your succor, which is so important, of course. And succor the, the beg not suffer that the beggar shall putteth up his petition to you in vain. So there's this amazing list of promises. And... It all comes from adopting a different attitude. And these prophets call it an attitude of nothingness. We call it an attitude of stewardship. And we want to present to you that that is the alternative attitude to the false notion of ownership. We think ownership is the attitude that gets us in all kinds of trouble. So we gave you something to chew on here for just a minute. We're going to take a break. Think about that. And we're going to come back and expand on that a little bit because it is really key to our happiness. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back talking about nothingness of all things and as we did the first half and now we're going to launch into a little different angle of that or what that we talked about what that produces but now we're going to launch so let's let's spend a minute or two on on 
how we got so caught up with this notion of ownership. And again, understand what the premise is here. We're we're believing, and I think most of you would agree with this as you think about it. We 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 struggle so hard to own things, and yet we really don't own things. Everything passes through our hands. And to those uh, who are religious, we the, the the proper paradigm is that God owns everything. And even if you're not a religious person, just think about it. Do we really own things or do we just possess them for a little while and pass them on? So let's explore for a minute how we got caught up in this idea of ownership. Uh, The right to own property is a key underpinning of a democracy and a free enterprise system. This right had to be fought for and won in order for free people in order to free people from tyrants and monarchy, the American Revolution is only one example of the endless struggle for autonomy and free enterprise. So in an economic sense, ownership is a prerequisite for responsibility. People aren't as likely to take good care of things unless they own them. Generally, we take better care of our own cars than of rental cars. And a vacation rental is more likely to be abused than your own home. So ownership, the concept of ownership can cause us to feel responsible and to take care of things and so on. But if it gets overboard and we start being greedy or feeling like we really own things, we have to protect them and fight for them and be selfish with them, then it starts causing spiritual problems within us. You know, it does. It is interesting that, um, Sometimes when you have a new car or a new home, you think, oh, I'm so protective. Oh, my God, this is, we got to keep this perfect. I got to take care of this. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. (laughs) Look what you did to this. I mean, it really is amazing what happens in our minds if we think we really own something that's beautiful and we really want to keep it perfect. It's a real problem in some cases. Here's sort of the way to really think about this. This is kind of how we're conceptualizing it. If the notion of ownership, if you think the notion of ownership is like the trunk of a tree, what are the branches that grow? Branches of envy and jealousy sprout as we contact with those who have more things or better things than we do. Branches of condescension or superiority shoot up as we see those who have less. Branches of greed and covetousness begin to grow as we think about all that we wish we had. Branches of pride germinate as we think about what we have or about having more of than uh, more of it than anyone else. So the bottom line is there must be a better perspective, a better paradigm, a better attitude to have in our lives than ownership. And there is and we call it stewardship. And stewardship creates all the advantages of ownership in terms of taking care of things and being responsible and so on. But it does it in the true sense of the word that we're not the owners, we're the stewards. And I just love the word stewardship, Linda. It just it, it just implies a person who really cares for something but understands he, he it's it's he, it isn't known that he's preserving it 
for the world and for someone else. I think farmers get this more than anybody else as they yeah, are I stewards of their land. My dad was a farmer and he worked day and night. He grew up on a farm and it was amazing how much he loved the land and loved his work because he felt like he was taking care of it for the Lord. I'm not sure he thought of that every day, but he was taking care of it. I remember standing out in a field with him yeah. one evening at a sunset, and he said, Linda, just look at that. Is that the most beautiful sight? It was a Aren't a I grateful? Of, I get to care for a that. A field of alfalfa. It's it was God's field. Green and ready to be cut and taken care of. And it really it just moved me because I realized he, he is a steward of this land. So this is an old world an old word dating back to the 11th century. Webster defines stewardship as a job, as a functioned as a job description denoting the office of a steward or manager of a large household, implying the watchful care of something we do not own. Webster says the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And that makes you think of scriptures about stewards. Yeah. Wise and stewards. So in some ways, it's okay to have kids not spill ice cream in a car, in your car, <laughs> because, um, you're you know, taking care you're of that taking car. Care for the Lord, not, you know, not knows that so much for yourself, but uh, we, we are stewards over so many things and we get so possessive. They think they're mine. This is mine. And I think, we need to just think, you know, I'm nothing. If, if this, if something does happen to this, it's not going to be the end of the world. And it's a, a lot of people think, well, it's an old word. It's one we don't use much anymore. But there's there's a, a, a very recent sort of trend going on in business called stewardship theory. It's the stewardship theory of management where executive at, executives in this company, whatever company it is, act as responsible stewards of the assets they control. And we also hear a lot lately about environmental stewardship, referring to the responsibility and protection of the natural world, the natural environment through conservation and sustainable practices. You know, um, the word has long had a spiritual connotation. According to Wikipedia, which must be true, yeah. <laughs> um, stewardship is a theological belief that humans are responsible for the world and should take care of it. In Jewish, Christian, and Muslim tradition, stewardship refer refers to the way time, talents, material possessions, or wealth are used or given for the service of God. I love that. I mean, all religions believe this, that we are stewards. So here's sort of the bottom line. A paradigm in which one feels full responsibility for something he knows he is not fully deserving of. This is where the nothingness and the humility comes in. Something both worked for and received for which we feel dedication and passion. Something which brings us a sense of Man, magnificent efforts to control and develop and build that stewardship. And it brings not pride, but gratitude. I think maybe that's the heart of the difference, honey. If you have an ownership paradigm, it leads to pride. 
I'm so proud I've got more than you do. I'm so proud I've got this I big house. So hard I'm so this. proud I I've got this it, new yeah. car. And and that and and you think, well, that's kind of joy in that. You're so proud, you feel good about it, but it's a very shallow, very hollow kind of joy. And if the attitude is stewardship instead, I don't really deserve this, but I'm so grateful for it. I worked hard for it, but it's not really mine. I'm going to take care of it. It belongs to God. It belongs to my children. It belongs to those I'll pass it on to. It belongs to the universe. I'm just the steward. And you see how that leads to this wonderful sort of feeling of humility, and it leads directly away from pride. Gratitude without pride. There are so often you see things on TV uh, that lead you to think that pride is the way to go. You know, I want more. I want more because this will make me look better. Uh, this will help me with to get a better job or whatever it is that you're thinking. And actually, what we should be thinking is, I I am going to do the very best I can to be humble, to have to think about nothingness, and to go forward. Um, with what I'm doing with the the thing in my mind that this is all for God. Now, we tried to put this in a little poem. Let, just, just see if the poetry relates to you and see if this summarizes what we've been trying to say. Truth never changes, but relevance does. Divine ownership and our stewardship have always been just as true as they are now but perhaps never quite as relevant because today society's sentiments slide us and suck us in opposite directions, pulling us off toward getting and having and particularly, particularly toward wanting more. History's graphs of greed, materialism, and stress are peaking right now, in layers of pride and preoccupation with possession. We look to the light of being and giving. We learn who we are and where we are, using our gifts and our agency to discover joy. Now more than ever, the world needs stewards, and we need stewardship. It's so true. <clears throat> we have one son who is particularly amazing at feeling that when he wakes up in the morning, you know, I am nothing and I am going to try to help whoever I come across. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful feeling. <clears throat> he, um, he has no uh, conception of if a person's poor or uh, down and out or rich or whatever. He He just dives into a relationship when he sees someone, he wants to be their friend. And I think it is because he feels a lot of nothingness. I'm I'm just, you know, I'm just here to help people today. Yeah. Uh, and he You love being around people like that. He finds the most fascinating people and he introduces them to us. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of a sad commentary that we can't <laughs> we do find them for ourselves. Right. But um it is just such a joy to think that he just wakes up in the morning thinking, I wonder what's going to happen to me today. I wonder who's going to come to my, across my what path that's going to be interesting. Yeah. What just, stewardships will come my way? Right. And I, it's my job to take care of this person. If I see a need, I'm going to take care of it. 
So let's wind up by giving you some backup. I mean, it's one thing to listen to the Iyers talk about this concept of stewardship and humility and getting away from pride and ownership. But there's a lot of people a lot more articulate than us who've said some pretty beautiful things about it. Let's start with C.S. Lewis. One of our very favorites. He said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Isn't that <laughs> obvious? That. That's so great. And then one of C.S. Lewis's mentors was a, a wonderful writer named G.K. Chesterton. We're going to give you a couple of quotes from him, but here's the first one. Think about how beautiful this is said. How much larger your life would be if you could become smaller within it, you would break out of this tiny little theater where your own little plot is always being played, and you would find yourself under a freer sky in a street full of splendid strangers. <laughs> love that. Oh, I love that. It's amazing. Um. As anonymous writer said, oh, this one, we don't know who said this, but one sees great things from the valley, only small things from the peak. That really <laughs> changed my mind about things the other day. Wait a minute. When you're, rephrase that. Well, you, if, if you see yourself as small, you see other things as big, right? And another anonymous writer said that the smaller you are, the bigger the things God can do with you. And then I'm, I'm giving you the last one, which is Chesterton again. It's so great. And Chesterton came at one point uh, more time, possibly with a chuckle. Without humility, it is impossible to enjoy anything, even pride. That's <laughs> our favorite. It's very favorite. Without humility, it's impossible to enjoy anything, even pride. <laughs> I love that. So we hope you've got the spirit of what we're saying and that you'll think about it a little. And again, this is we're moving on in this little series about the three deceivers of control, ownership, and independence. And we're on the second one today that the deceiver of ownership is false and that the best replacement for it is an attitude of stewardship. And we'll look forward to next time going to the third one, the idea of independence and how, sorry to say, you'd be so blunt, but what a crock that is, that none of us are really independent. We're all interdependent. We'll look forward to talking about that deceiver and its alternative next week. So thanks for joining us. I think we've given you something to think about and us something to think about right. too, because we can never think about it enough. And we look forward to talking again next week. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Mm -hmm.